Hello, my name is Joshua and this is Kaleidoscope, an educational podcast hosted by me and my friends Edmund and Cynthia. Um, our podcast is sort of a one-stop shop for everything career-related uh, with the help of industry insiders. Um, we present you with a broad spectrum of professions with as many perspectives through personal testimonies as the colors of a kaleidoscope. And uh, today, if I can say so myself, is quite a special episode because uh, sitting next to me is um, well, a man that's done a little bit of everything. You know, he was, he was a teacher and, uh, and he, did manage, he was a managing director, CEO. Now he's a head of sales and volume steering. And uh, moreover, he's also he's also my father. So Trevor Hill, well, welcome to Kaleidoscope. It's uh, it's an honor for me and an honor for us to have you on Absolutely. here. It's quite special for me, obviously as well, because I think uh, I don't know. I think I take a lot a lot of uh, information for granted over the years. You just grow up, and and it'll be interesting to see how how you two sort of pick the brains and and. Uh, yeah, get get some valuable information, hopefully. Absolutely, we always tell Josh that he has no idea how lucky he is to have you, you know, as a as just <laughs> a treasure you. trove of information to yeah. to go through. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invite. It's really great, and anything you know, anything I can do to to help somebody along the way. I mean, that's part of part of being a manager is also being a mentor, being a coach, yeah. and trying to help uh, give people opportunities to. Uh, to get further in life and that's what i've really tried to do all along is is to really create uh, create pathways for for my employees or whatever to to find a way and to find a, a direction and a route and uh, and set them up for 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 success in the future and that's huge i mean we were speaking a little bit before off the camera just to sort of for for edmund and cynthia to to get to know you and i think already you see you see it's quite a an elaborate story and and also one that's you know there's there's uh, certain events that you know you can trace back to this is where com this comes from this is where this comes from and i think um you know as with uh, other podcasts and as with podcasts in the future i think it's it's we, we hope to educate we hope to continue educating and and meeting again if i can say so myself inspiring individuals <laughs> along the way and, and talking to them is a is a is an honor so um as with the last one we have we have 10 questions and i know i've sent you these 10 questions so uh, i'm sure you have i'm sure you have your answers already um first question beach or sightseeing it's definitely sightseeing yeah yeah, yeah. sightseeing for sure i think uh you know life's about uh, like i said earlier is life's about creating stories and being able to tell stories and be able to tell about experiences and experiencing different things as as much as I'd like to lie on a beach and, and, and uh, enjoy the sun, I'm much more, much happier going around, seeing new things, discovering new things, finding out new things, getting into the history, getting into the, 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 the place that we're visiting. And so definitely sightseeing. Yeah. I can see how it's your father. Yes. There's so much of, of him inside of you. I mean, yes. Yeah. Um, books or movies? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say books. Yeah, books because um, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of you know different topics and a lot of and movies is, it's a the kind of a snapshot in time and it's mm. it's uh, things move on but books is a lot of I, I like to read biographies uh, for me as a as an ex-sportsman and a, like most ex-sportsmen I went through a serious injury and in that rehab mm. time I read a lot of biographies on how how major sports 
personalities came back after industry, after, sorry, after injury and, and what they did. And that was a really good time for me. So I, I really enjoy biographies, mainly sports biographies. And to see, you know, the ups and downs, a lot of business biographies, not every businessman has been uh, successful all the time. They've had mm. ups yeah. and they've had downs. So, you know, you can, how their management, and the, the most important thing is how you bounce back. Yeah. So definitely books for me, yeah. Yeah, I think just to add on to that, I think there's enough studies out there now that say failure is actually a precursor to success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, favorite ice cream flavor? Yeah, this is definitely... Uh, Caramelita, <laughs> oh, nice. Caramelita ice cream from Movenpick. Yeah. What's the difference between caramel and caramelita? Yeah. Caramelita is a caramel plus vanilla, plus it has little chunks of caramel inside oh. the ice cream. This is where does the car come from, though? Caramelita. Mm. I have no uh, idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's strictly available at. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's available any, uh, anywhere else, but I've only ever had it at uh, the canteen at Aldi. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a quite dangerous place to have it. Also, um, favorite country to visit? Yeah, I mean, you know, we are South Africans by birth, so we love to visit South Africa, go to the bush and that. But I have to say, if I had a choice of any other country, I would definitely choose Japan. Yeah, yeah Japan. We lived there for a while, and uh, it's just got such a deep heritage and such a deep culture. And uh, people are so nice and so humble. The place is clean. It's mm. massively packed, but it works like clockwork. It's just just a really nice country to visit. Where, where did you live in? Uh, in Tokyo. In Tokyo. Yeah, we lived in Tokyo, which is, uh, you know, the greater Tokyo is 15 million people. Yeah. You can imagine in a little island squashed up, yeah. but it works like clockwork. It's yeah. really, the people on the roads are friendly. There's no aggression. The trains work like clockwork. Yeah. It's just really, really a nice country. That's when, something I'd when like to see. Yeah, yeah, when was that? That was two thousand three, four, five. Yeah. When mm -hmm. I yeah. was there, yeah. 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 Favorite song? <laughs> yeah, it's about stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a uh, you know like a music buff, but uh, definitely I have a um, being in Japan and, and living in South Korea. Karaoke is a big thing there. You know, you, hmm. as a foreigner. You have to, the, the, you go to karaoke, the first thing they do is look at you and say, you know, okay, what you got to sing, you got to show us. So, so you have a little song list there and you have the same song list all the time. And always at the top of my song list was uh, um, California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. So it was the easiest thing for me to sing. I could get out on the karaoke, sing that song. Thank you for coming. And then, <laughs> and then the, the Koreans or the Japanese, or in the in the case of the Chinese as well, they could take over. And they love karaoke. Yeah. They, just, yeah. they just love karaoke. So yeah, that, that's the story behind the song. It's, it's the, the the favorite song for me. I think it's appropriate. Although we normally would like to stick to the fan questions, but it's just very interesting. How many countries have you lived in? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, we've lived, uh, let's count, I'm not really too sure, in South Africa, then we went to Germany, to Japan, to China, to South Korea, to the Middle East, yeah, Dubai. Dubai. and then yeah, back to South Africa, yes, seven. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, nothing in between, right? No. And you have <laughs> Canada, Josh. Yeah, I have yeah. Canada. You've actually lived in more countries. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And yeah. Our, our, other, our other son, Josh's brother, also, he studied in Wales. Oh, yeah, so yeah, he studied in, in, in Wales. Yeah. I think, just a little side note, I think he went to like 13 different schools. Yeah, like yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. 
that's yeah. I mean, that's it's a different uh, topic, but this kind of traveling around the world and in, in the corporate environment is is great, um, and it's what we wanted to do. It was our choice. We didn't have to do it, but it is quite taxing on a family and and, mm -hmm. and on the education of kids. And you know, the the youngsters always have to come to a new school, meet new friends, yeah. start a new country, and, and uh, you know, get get into the culture and the society and. It's it's not without its uh, negative side, but there's so many positives yeah. in traveling around yeah. the world yeah. and experiencing cultures and countries. And yeah. there's, there's, I would say there's ma many more positives than negatives. Yeah. In that privilege, privilege, yeah. very uh, yeah. privilege and blessed. And I think yeah. that these days, is whether we're talking about professional admissions or even educational, uh, so universities, um, they're always looking for people with the type of background that Josh had through you know your job and your career yeah. that yeah. you had that those experiences yeah, so yeah. i think that's a really really positive I mean, it just makes sense to, to have people to, to want people like that when when you're gonna you know take care of teams or interact with so many people from so many different places you need people like like you that mm. that have been to so many different places and can understand different perspectives yeah it's just uh it's just so key in today's world yeah and you're tolerant you're tolerant of different yeah. cultures and different um different ways of working and things like that so you yeah, as opposed to if you brought up in one system, one structure, one country, one language, then you you know if something changes, you don't handle it properly. But if you if you've if you've lived in many countries, you've changed a lot. You're able to handle those changes, and things change. In business, things change yeah. daily, and, and you're gonna have it in your career or in your studies. Things change, situations change. You get a bad boss, and you you've got to handle it. Yeah. So you know, if you've if you've seen a lot of things in life, then you you handle it much easier yeah. mm -hmm. than if yeah, you've been brought up in one strict yeah. system. Uh, I don't know how much of a tangent we want to go out on here, but I I, I how did you? I mean, because you, you obviously you, you grew up and lived in uh, in South Africa. How was the transition from South Africa to Germany? Uh, did you live it? How do you? Was yeah. it a positive change? Was it was it hard to, to yeah. change? Drastic. Yeah. yeah, for me it was uh, not so bad because I was working. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had to go to work every day. I, I, it was very difficult to. But I didn't speak a word of German, mm -hmm. so I went into. Uh, you know, we went into Bavaria. So it's, it's hardly. It's even. Yeah, you know, it's even tougher than German mm -hmm. because Bavarian is even tougher than German. And at that stage, it was in the middle nineties, ninety seven. Actually, hardly anyone spoke English. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you had to learn German very quickly, because you you had no choice. So, for me, it was the main thing was learning learning German, and um, and understanding the, the the working culture there. Mm -hmm. But I was immersed in it every day. So, and I learned German. I, I had studied an hour and a half every single day. Yeah. So that that was on my side. It was it was fine. But for my family, for my wife, and and our our, our eldest son was just yeah. seven years old. Yeah. It was really tough. Really, really tough because we stayed in a in a in a an area where all of the kids have been at the same kindergarten, the same uh, primary school or elementary school, and they knew each other. And then you get a foreigner coming in who doesn't speak a word of German, mm -hmm. and uh, he comes from Africa. Uh, they didn't quite understand that they actually didn't even know where Africa was. So, so we had to we had to explain it to them and explain that he, you know, he. He does wear shoes and he's uh, white because <laughs> yeah. their their opinion was everybody from Africa yeah. is black and then yeah. so there's a there's a massive there's four and a half million whites that live yeah. in South Africa they speak English and Afrikaans yeah. 
and they've been there for 300 years. So, you know, you have to explain all of those things. So it was a very tough start, yeah. but it was, uh, you know, it was a choice. So, yeah. so you know, you, you take the good with the bad yeah. and you try and immerse yourself in the culture as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So what we did at the school is myself and my wife went there uh, with, the, with the director of the school and had a presentation on South Africa. We actually did a presentation to the kids about where it is, what it is, and, you know. That's such a beautiful yeah. way to handle it instead of being passive aggressive that I've seen in the States so many times. Like no, it, it worked well. It really worked well. And then things calmed it. down and, and uh, you know, they, they accepted him quite quite well after that when they knew that it, yeah, that it's, yeah, that he comes from a pretty yeah. good country. It's, it's, it's always that, uh, it's stuff we always deal with today. It's just fear of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. it definitely yeah. is. Yeah. It definitely yeah. is. So, so, yeah, to come back to your question, it was tough. Yeah. But it was our choice, yeah. and we made it work. Yeah, we we immersed ourselves in the culture, like we've done in every single country that we've went yeah. to, that we've 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 gone to, and uh, tried to make the best out of the situation. That we um, stranded on an island, what are three things you take? <laughs> yeah, look, I'm a pretty practical guy, so uh, I would definitely take a mirror, okay. you know, signal mirror to 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 be able to. To be able to sh shine so that if somebody did come and save us, I'd be able to then to maybe even make a fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, kind of a tarpaulin, you know, to protect yourselves yeah. or to, to, to harvest rainwater. Yeah. And then I thought about this one. And to be honest, I would take uh, your mother. I would take my wife. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's very sweet. Yeah. She, is, she, very sweet. she is tough, eh? And she's been through this journey with us all the time. You know, we've done 15 intercontinental moves in wow. uh, in 20 years. And that's, you know, packing up a house, uh, putting it in a container, then moving to the next country and living kind of rough for a while while your container is still on its way there. And then getting the kids in the school and making friends and then setting up the new home, finding bank accounts, finding mobile phones, driving around. Yeah. Yeah, it's she's been through all of that, and uh, yeah, of course, it's always good to have some companionship when you're stuck on an island. It's the worst thing in the world it would be to be alone. No? Yeah. That's very interesting. I think out of all the people that I've ever asked this question outside of the podcast, you're the first person that I thought of their wife. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true, and I, th and I think wildly different to the software engineer as well. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. what we would answer. Yeah. You know, that yeah, would be yeah, easy. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you can eat one food, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Cheese and biscuits. Cheese and biscuits. <laughs> okay. Sorry, not cheese and biscuits. Bread and bread and cheese. Bread and cheese. Oh, bread what and what cheese. kind of cheese are we talking? Yeah, some be careful. Really He's a Frenchman. Yeah. Frenchman. Yeah. That, that, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. French. Just any bread, cheese. A baguette. Okay. With a really nice uh, French cheese would be good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's satisfied with that. Music to your ears. Um, favorite movie? Um, yeah, very old movie actually, um, but there's a story behind it as well. <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, won won four uh, Academy Awards, four Oscars. Um, wow. Robert Redford and Paul Newman, really <laughs> famous actors. It was a cowboy cowboy movie. Um, actual fact: these guys were in a gang. And uh, we're robbing mail trains of cash mm -hmm. and things like that. And so, but this, the, the, the point is that uh, it was probably the first movie that I ever saw in a cinema. I think I was wow. 11 or 12 years old. 
So going to a cinema, sitting in a cinema with your box of popcorn and your cola or whatever. And, and so that's why it sticks in my, in my memory as, the, as the, the favorite movie I ever seen. So the first time I ever went and sat in a Have you watched cinema. it again? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. not yeah. disappointed. No, not no? at all, not yeah, at all. Okay. It's just different, you know. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it had a, you know, it had a, a really tough end. I mean, uh, these guys were, it's like the Robin Hood thing. They were robbing the rich and giving to the poor kind of thing. Um, and then they, they, they got on the wrong side of the law at the end and both got shot. So it was a sad end. And when you're an 11 or 12 year old kid watching a movie like that and they're your heroes and then they both, it's kind of tough to, to, to see. But yeah, that's my favorite movie. And the uh, book you think everyone should read? Um, yeah, I, I think a number of books but any, what I would say is something there's a book that that, that that we have at home as well that book on managing your money oh, yeah, yeah. like like a like an, like an adult yeah yeah it's a bad word in between but yeah, we call yeah, it managing yeah. money like a the point is for for, for 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 young people I don't think there's enough um, enough books out there to explain the importance of starting a financial planning early I mean, now uh, I'm nearly 60 years old. I have a lot more, <laughs> more insight or a, little, a lot more hindsight. And uh, if I'd known then what I knew now, maybe I would have started a, an insurance program earlier pro or a retirement plan earlier or um, investing, understanding the stock market or investing money in the stock market earlier because yeah. I don't think you, you understand the importance of, of, of developing a portfolio or developing a savings plan early in your life. With, with the compound interest and the way things build over time, it, it only works with time. And so to just add a comment to that, not only do we not understand it to that extent, I think most young people are given a credit card before understanding the negative consequences of their actions. For example. So, yeah, so I definitely think that um, we need a lot more financial education. Yeah, and this, was, this book that we have is very simple and explains what is interest and uh, what is compound interest and what is the importance of having a financial plan and a budget and you know, you're earning so much and you're going to spend so much. So how are you going to, how are you going to plan it? And have you got money for fuel? And have you got money for food? And have you got money for this and that? And no. So I think that it's good to know that kind of thing early on in life. And then I think it will help you along the way. You don't always have spare cash to invest, mm -hmm. but even $10 or $20, you know, you stick it away in an account and over time it sort of, it sort of grows. So, yeah, and then when you get to to older, you know, older in life, and then you have a plan and you have a nice portfolio, it makes life a little easier. I also think that that's because we're an incredibly impatient generation, and that's why we're seeing these uh, get rich fast schemes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that are so so popular, I think, with our generation is because we don't want to think of compound interest in the forty years. We want to think that. Will be millionaires twice by then. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I can invest in cryptocurrencies. And yeah, and just make, make it overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you're right. There are there are so many success stories out there, but for every success story, <laughs> I can promise ten, you there are yeah, a hundred failures, and that's for sure. And, for and, sure. and then you know you don't want to, you know, a lot of people are a lot of younger generation getting into startups now, which is which is great, and the economy is ready for it, and it helps these startups are helped a lot. But uh, if they go wrong, it's a problem. And then you're on the back foot early in your life. Yeah. So 
it's it's really like you said chicken and egg is you want to take the risk you want to you want to make a lot of money quickly but you can also yeah. you need to weigh up the yeah. risk and and, and so there should also be some books that explain those kind of things the negative side of of, of putting everything in on the line yeah. but, you but you also don't want to stifle the the, the risk-taking ability and the and the and the opportunities that exist at the moment in the new economy because mm. they are there are huge econ- uh, there are huge chances in the new economy that um, you need to take but it is not without risk yeah three people you'd have dinner with yeah yeah <laughs> probably a little bit strange but uh, i would like to have someone like tiger woods Mm-hmm. Just to try and get in his head and understand what he was thinking when he went, did all the things that he did, and and I mean, he's a genius on the golf course. He was a genius. He had everything at his feet, and he he threw it all away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to get in his head. Bill Clinton. Mm. I've seen Bill Clinton live at a dinner. I was at a dinner with him, and and when he walked in, it was like he had an aura around him. It was incredible just to 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 feel the presence of the man. Also, I mean, had his good side and he had his bad side, but also try and get inside his head and understand how he thinks and what he thinks and how he thought he could get away with what he did get away yeah. with and those kind of things. And then uh, Nelson Mandela, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was incarcerated 27 years for something he didn't really actually even do, um, but he he, he um, took it, uh, it, you know, and then came out of out of jail and change the nation, you know, got yeah. a, got a, got a, a, a potentially civil war situation in the country, and uh, just got the got the nation together, and uh, molded them into a nation, and uh, and 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 put them on a path. The yeah. path hasn't quite gone the way he vision he envisioned it, but he started yeah. that path, and he he got this this uh, two basically warring factions together brought them together and put them on a path and then yeah fantastic like a real legend i think it's beautiful to see the ripple effect of inspiration at play here because you i think we are all inspired by you (laughs) and you were inspired by other people and they probably were inspired by other people and it's just just really how it plays out yeah yeah yeah. great i think uh i think we could do a a whole podcast on 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 these 10 questions oh yeah for sure because there's so many things there's so many different uh, ways you can go down with each question i think yeah. uh yeah but i think uh to get back to the crux of what we're trying to do with this podcast and everything and, and sort of bring it all full circle with in terms of career um i think it's appropriate to start because i think i don't think the audience knows exactly where you've come from or, or sort of what where you started and, and, and where exactly it did start but maybe a good question to start with would be uh, how would you describe your job to uh, a ten a ten year old and and bearing in mind bearing in mind you do a different job now than to yeah from the yeah. job you've done for the majority of your career basically. yeah okay the current job or um let's go with okay so you so tell us what your current job is and then sort of explain that and then the job that you've been doing the majority of your career okay that. so currently um the way it works in our company is that we um, part of your management development is you have to go abroad. Mm-hmm. You have to take an overseas assignment and, and learn a new culture, learn a new country, 
um, and then come back and you can move up in management. If you don't have that step, you can't move up in management. That's just the way it is in the company. So, so we do we do get sent out quite often, and 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 then come back and uh, come back to the head office. So this where I am right now is I'm back in the head office, and uh, basically my position at the moment is uh, the head of uh, sales uh, sales and volume planning for for Audi Sport, which is uh, all the high performance cars within the company. So basically what I am now, I'm the link between the factory and the markets. So um, I'm the guy who tells the markets um, or gets the, the volume requirements from the markets. I coordinate it all into, into, into our systems and then tell the factory what they need to be producing. And we do a, we do a planning horizon for 10 years. So wow. I know exactly now, uh, we're already planning now what we'll be selling in 10 years time. So really, so so we know what models will come in ten years' time, and we need to plan it across the globe. So we need it's of course it's not exactly to a science, but it's 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 a, it's a um, it's a kind of a broad idea of if we're going to bring in an electric super sport car, we know how many of those cars we're going to sell in two th in twenty twenty eight twenty nine and twenty and twenty thirty. We know that already. And in that way, we can plan our factory capacity, our people capacity, our um, logistics, our suppliers. And that's, that's the job that I have now is how do, how do I get uh, the numbers right so that I can tell the factory what they need to build and when they need to build it. That's crazy. Yeah, so yeah, that's ten uh, years in advance. That, yeah. that seems yeah. absolutely crazy to me. How, um, how flexible is that strategy? Um, to be able to move with sometimes drastic changes in the market? Yeah, good question. Very good question. So we have this 10-year planning horizon. Mm -hmm. The th first three years are hard. Okay. So those, those are th there's very little flexibility there. If we say we're going to build, in those three years, we're going to build 20,000 RS6s. It's a, it's a super power car. If we say we're gonna, then th then we have to build that. There's very little flexibility in the three years. Okay. But after the three years, there's a, there's a bit of flexibility to, to, to move the volume up and down. What's not so easy to move is if I'm saying in five years' time I'm going to bring an, an electric power car, then I can't um, change that. If we decide, it, normally we decide six years ahead on, on, a, on a product. And if that, if that decision is made, that car has to come. You can't say after three years, oh, the market's changed, we have to cancel the project. That car's going to come. Because you already started the, the, the design, the engineering, the development, everything has started for that car already. Mm -hmm. So it's really a six-year process. So it's not like we decide this year to build a car and next year we bring it to the market. It's, it's, it's not like that. So that's oh. an incredible story. But incredible. I have to say one thing at this stage. There, there is a competitor, um, Tesla, which is Elon Musk's uh, brand, they've been able to shorten this development cycle. So he's really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons here. And he's, this, this, this uh, long-term planning that we in the, in the conservative motor industry have had for so many years, he's really challenged that. Uh, how do you think he achieved that? How is it possible? Because I mean, those, I mean, there's things you, you can't change, right? Engineering time, ordering pieces, I guess, uh, I don't, 
exactly know yeah. how it works, but that's how I imagine it works. He's how do you condense that? He's simplified the, the engineering process, the development process, and he's, um, he's used a lot of um, components between his different models. So he's really he's really challenged all of us in the conservative in the, in the conservative motor industry. We've been building cars for a hundred years, and he's really challenged that, which is which is fantastic. And and, and uh, it's brought us all one step further now. Yeah. So we are now working on a plan to reduce the development mm. cycle. We're still planned ten years in advance, but we're reducing the development cycle now. Interesting. So, yeah. Really, really interesting. So, so what I wanted to say that that must be an incredible amount of pressure pressure and responsibility on, on yeah, yeah, shoulders, yeah. but probably in a, in a positive sense when you also can say like, wow, those cars that are out there, like I planned for those, <laughs> I've known about it, you know, when it just goes in the magazine, like, wow, Audi has released this and that car. Yep. I knew it five years ago. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And, and what, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things about the motor industry that are interesting. If you, if you, like when I see a car on the road, I don't see a blue car. I see yeah. a blue car of that that make and blue Audi of that make. I know the factory. I know exactly the planning behind it. I even know some of the people that have built that car. Right. Well, so that's 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 kind of. So you see a car on the road, you think, oh, that's a nice car. Oh uh, yeah. That's, yeah. I think women. That's how we pick cars. Is it in my budget, and does it fit like the aesthetics that I'd like? Yeah, and, yeah. And for me, it's it. for me, it's more like oh, I really now I know that car, and I know that we, when we when we designed that light on the car, we had a problem with that, so we had to change that design, or we had yeah. to change that to change that. So yeah, that's the way I see a car it's when I see it on the road. It's completely, really, really interesting. Yeah, completely I mean, it, different. It goes back to what you're saying about everything has a story. And Car has a story, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I don't know. I'm not exactly can't remember exactly if we let the audience know where you work at Audi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You work at Audi, and uh, but it, obviously you haven't always worked at Audi. You've worked at Audi for a very long time, but you started. You're from South Africa. Correct. I'm from South Africa. Um, maybe you can hear it in the accents. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you grew up most of your life. Uh, you spent most of your life in South Africa, and uh, for the audience, just do you want to walk walk us through the, the education and yeah, the sort of yeah, yeah, the like, uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I grew up in South Africa. I went to an all boys school, uh, which is very common in in South Africa. The old uh, the old British system there, and uh, was very interested in sport. Played a lot of sport. That was my main uh, my main activity at school. Studied on the sideline. Of course, it was able to get a university entrance. Then uh, we had did two years military. We had uh, um, a compulsory military service in those days. And then after that, I went to, to university to study. And I studied as a teacher, um, basically to do phys ed, physical education, because it fitted in with, with my ambitions to, to play sport at a high level. Um, and, and I was able to train and study at the same time. And I was interested in physical education, and it gave me the chance to train. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I got into to, to studying teaching. Uh, once I'd started to, once I'd qualified, um, I still was playing my sport at a very high level. I played in the national team as well in South Africa for five years, played in the provincial team for 10 years. So, yeah, it was a big part of my life. Um, but then it, once I started teaching, I quickly realized that this is not, uh, not going to pay the bills and uh, it's not going to get me to where I wanted to be. And I needed to then reassess the situation, taking some of the skills that I'd learned as a teacher. Um, I, I moved into adult education, so into sales and management training. 
And that's when I started with the Volkswagen Group as a sales and management trainer, developing a training department uh, in, in South Africa in those days. In my time when I was working as a trainer, I got in touch with a lot of salespeople, a lot of uh, area managers, and uh, was offered a position to go into sales and uh, sales and marketing management on a general as an area manager. And so my career took a took another turn towards sales and marketing into into sales and marketing and actually selling products and actually setting up marketing plans and sales plans and moving metal and uh, all of those kind of things. And in that, after that time, I then decided I wanted to go back into training and I started my own training agency. I ran that for three years. In those three years, I got in touch with, uh, with Audi in, in Germany. I was doing work for them in Africa and the Middle East. And they offered me a position at the head office in Germany, again, back in training. And um, I did that for a while and then moved to Japan together with the family and was doing training, business development, um, and uh, business management. So I've got a bit of the business side of it. But then I realized in Japan, I didn't really have a business qualification. So I needed to do something. So uh, I found a, 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 a university, an American university in Japan that did an MBA. And it was a kind of a, some online and some presence training. And I decided to, to, to kind of compl complement my initial qualification with a business degree and I did that uh, a master's uh, an MBA and that really helped me understand how business how businesses worked and how the different departments interacted and how they um, you know they worked together to make a business successful and that gave me the grounding to move into the next job when I was offered a, an MD position in China mm -hmm. the MD of uh, Audi China at that stage and China was on a real massive growth phase this was in 2005, six, seven, just before the Olympic Games, and as I say, we were we were growing we were growing at a at a hell of a rate, uh, more than a hundred thousand units a year we were growing, and um, it was a really really strong development phase for the company. Um, yeah, then after that I moved into to certain other markets for the at that stage Audi as a brand was growing globally as well, and they needed us to, we needed to set up companies around the world. Uh, what we call NSCs, national sales companies. So I took on the I took on the job of uh, starting the company in South Korea, um, and built up that business quite well. And then moved back to the head office for a while, and then moved to the Middle East and took over the business in the Middle East as a, as the managing director of the business in the Middle East, and again building a business up from from pretty pretty low base. Um, with everything that goes along with building a business, you know, you, you need to find people, you need to uh, establish processes, understand the markets, and then start of getting setting a setting a strategy in place that you you can get the company to to go along and follow you along that path. So, yeah, basically that was in so setting up these businesses, managing them, and pushing the brand forward in the countries. There's so much that you've said in there, I have no idea where to start, but the first question as we were moving in a chronological order, probably that I had, uh, going from teaching to, you know, having your own company and successfully running that, what do you think, what were those skills that you were able to transfer from teaching so that you were able to run your company successfully? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the teaching part is, it gives you a good basis, a good pedagogical basis so you know how to get a message across okay. you know how to manage an edu a, a, a class you know how to 
how to make sure that you are um, listening to your learners and you are you're, you're, you're anticipating what the what the situation is. So all of that, all of those skills, I was able to take into the into the into the training environment. And then, basically, I was I was uh, selling my time. You know, so you you are you are your time, and you are the face of your company, and you need to you need to make sure that everything you're producing is representing what you are as a person, and and as a as a trainer, you have to you have to prepare well. You have to make sure that the messaging is correct. You have to make sure that you you're on time. You have to make sure that you um, are, are are guiding your learners to a to a to a goal. You have to make sure that there are that there are steps in place. So that that's basically you know I, the, the training skills I had, the business skills and the selling skills I needed to work on, and and selling selling time and selling a business and managing a business. Coupled with all of that is then you 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 get you need to get clients. So you, you get a couple of clients, you start your training, and then you make sure that you've got all the admin around it. You, know, you need to have a, you need to have a good accounting system. You need to be able to you manage your finances, your cash flow. You need to make sure that you you you've got money to spend. You need because starting a business, you always need to invest. You need to invest something. So you need to make sure that you've got finances available and that you're not going to you're not going to sink the ship. And that you you've got to plan that the money's coming in at some stage. You know most of these big companies they pay probably 60 to 90 days. So you've got to be able to bridge your finance over those and, and make sure that they do pay. You yeah. know, so, so not only are you a trainer, but you're also a business person. So you're managing both sides of the business. And, and, and you basically, uh, eventually I had two employees. So it did help a little bit. But uh, you know, then, uh, when you start off initially, <laughs> you're a one-man show. So, yeah. uh, but then doing everything and, uh, and also preparing stuff, making sure that the quality is good, and, uh, and and selling it, yeah, selling yourself and selling selling the vision. There's an incredible set of skills and the balance between them that's needed in there. Yeah, yeah, it's. <laughs> and I'm, that's why I was uh, genuinely surprised when you said that you didn't feel like you had the qualifications on the business aspect and you went to get an MBA. What do you think that you got out of an MBA? I I personally, and it's probably just because I have um, an incorrect perception of an MBA but I would think that if you run your own company and you've done all of it that you've done up to that point what else could it bring <laughs> yeah you're right. first of all it brings the formal qualification okay which most companies sense. need yeah you, know, you put it on your card or whatever you say uh, I've got an MBA which is always nice to, to be able to say but it definitely what it did give me is a perspective of of all the different functioning parts of a business which mm -hmm. I probably had done on my own but in a very small very small scale um, you know when you when you're running a when you're running a company you, you're looking at everything you, you are responsible for everything not only for the recruitment policies but you're respon responsible for the legal aspects you're a representative of that company in that country so legally you're, you're liable for the company socially you're liable for the people that work for you um, you work you for responsible for the numbers you're responsible for the finances you're responsible for for the quality of the of the work that's being done you've got a dealer organization that, um, that that employs people so you're responsible for them as well you've got to supply enough product so that they can make money so it's it's a massive massive skill set and a massive set of responsibilities that you have as an MD of a company or a CEO of a company it's not that you I mean of course one of the most important things is to surround yourself with good people and then that will ease your job as the, as the CEO. So you, you have to, 
you have that's probably the most important thing is to make sure that you've got people in place that you can trust and you can rely on so that they um, they can take the heat off you and you can focus on the strategic part of the business if you have to do the strategic and operational part you don't have enough time to do that mm-hmm. and, and things will go south mm-hmm. so uh, you need to my, my aim was always to try and surround myself with people that could eventually probably take that my position how, how easy is it to find people like that how and how easy is it to put them in those positions right because I, I assume you, you didn't always have that freedom when when you just started at Audi to choose the people that worked around you when yeah. when did it come and how yeah how easy to, is it to find those people yeah not easy it's not yeah. easy because you're also looking for a certain skill set. You've got yeah. a, if a classical business like that. You've got a marketing department, you've got a sales department, and you've got an after-sales department. Then you have a finance department. So, you know, you've got to have someone with financial skills. And then it's mm-hmm. not always easy to find um, the, the very at short notice. Mm-hmm. Marketing, in, in most countries, you find good marketing experts. Sales is a... I'm a firm believer that sales is, is, is not something you you, you learn. Sales, you're either it's born salesperson or you're not. <laughs> there are, there, of course, there are a lot of salespeople that, that learn sales, but it's not as effective. Uh, the most effective salespeople are ones that are born to sell. Mm-hmm. And after sales, you need a technical uh, understanding of the technical side of the business. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then businesses, you also have HR, but HR basically these days, it, 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 it falls under, finance, under the finance department. Most companies these days, finance, HR, legal, compliance, governance, they're all fall under the, the CFO, the, the finance guy. So that's also a massive set of skills that a finance person, normally a finance person just studies finance. Yeah. Nowadays, the CFO is responsible. Sometimes even IT falls under yeah. the CFO. Yeah? Yeah. So, so a lot of responsibility on. So you need to have a strong CFO. That for me was the most important. A strong CFO, me as the MD, and then you you try to grow your own marketing and salespeople. Yeah. Um, if you need to bring in from because to bring someone in from another industry, it's it's good you get a good impulse, mm-hmm. but to understand the car industry is not that easy. It's it's you mm-hmm. need to you need to understand how the industry works. So we try to grow our own people within the industry, mm-hmm. and then put them in place. So how long have you been in then uh, in the automotive industry then? Yeah, probably 30 years now. So, um, 30 years. And yeah. how long have you been with Audi? Um, of that, 25. 25. And the first five were with Volkswagen, so it's the same company really, yeah. but yeah. Uh, selling Volkswagen products. It's very different to selling Audi products. Yeah, can you guys <laughs> imagine being at a, at a company now? For 25 years? That's exactly where I was going with that. That these point, days, yeah. these days, we switch careers every two to three years, uh, if that. And if you don't, then then it looks like that you're complacent. Um, yeah, yeah, how yeah. do you think that's different to your? Absolutely, experience? good point. Because I see CVs all the time now. I get, I get CVs across my desk all the time, and um, when I look through a CV and I look at wow, one and a half years there, two years there. In the past, I would have said, wow, this is a job hopper. Yeah. Nowadays it's different. Nowadays it's completely different because there's so many new career paths. There's so many new jobs there. There's so many different skills that you need to have as an employee. So two years in a in a job learning coding, for example, is fine. And then learning something else, a data analyst or something like that, 
and then doing something else. But at the end of the day, what you're getting is a real business analyst specialist. Mm. But they need to do all of those small jobs to get the big picture. So, you know, it's different in, in, in the old days. And when I was growing up, you, you, if you looked at a CV and the person had many, many jobs, you would say, nah, I'm not so sure about that person. Um, on the other side of the coin is nowadays, in a company like ours, we frown upon people that have been in, the, in, their, in their job for more than five years. You know, we, we're looking at, uh, at us, uh, our, uh, in our company now, we look to rotate people every five years. The, 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 the older people that have been in their job, we don't like people to stay in a job for, for, for between five to ten years. It's, it's not good for the person. It's not good for the, for the company. People get too settled in their ways and they, their skill set shrinks. So, you know, they're not growing. And uh, it's a very much a big phenomenon here in, in Germany, for example. There are a lot of people who've been sitting on the same position for a long time yeah. and they don't grow at all. And that also blocks a position for, for younger talent coming through. So we, we, at our company, we have, a, we have a rotation policy and we move people. We try to move people within five years. How so, no, I'm sorry. sorry, to come back to your, your point, it's, it's not a negative sign at all these days. If, if you see a CV with the one and a half years there, two years there, if it's shorter than that, I would ask the question in the interview. I'd say, okay, tell me, you were eight months in this position, tell me, what, what was it all about? What happened? But if it's a year and a half and you've learned a skill, perfect. Makes sense. So how would you differentiate between the definition of what we have of a manager today than what we would have looked for in a manager 20 years ago? Yeah, and just to, just to add on to that before you answer the question, I think that is something worth, worth noting is that there are uh, maybe, I don't know, I, I wouldn't know with how you felt about the generation before you growing up, but, but we, we generally, genuinely take differently as a generation yep. than, than, than you. And I think uh, it's important for your generation and our generation to understand that there are just inherent differences in the way we think and, and sort of finding the middle ground between that will ensure that we keep working well together in, in the future. I don't know how you feel about that. But yeah, 100%. 100%. So, so I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm at the end of the baby boomers. So, so baby boomers ended in 64. I was born 62, so I'm still a baby boomer. Which is which is uh, the generation that created everything that you guys have now. So you better thank. Them. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, jokes aside, I mean the the baby boomers are the ones after the war had a lot of kids. The country, every all economies were growing around the world, and things were great, and, and uh, things were moving ahead very quickly. Um, and uh, in in those days, there were there was no previous. There was there was a previous generation was very conservative. They had been through two world wars. Um, it was, it was, the economy wasn't as, as grown as it is now. Most countries were really struggling. Um, and then things started to pick up in the 50s and the 60s. There were some economies booming. The Japanese economy went absolutely gangbusters in those days and then crashed for 30 years. They've, they had a recession for 30 years in Japan. Okay. So um, after, after the 70s, where they were the, the nation in the world, um, but didn't manage it properly and really went, went to, now they're picking up again. Um, but uh, yeah, those generation, that generation, different generations didn't exist those days. So it was, uh, and it was a very strict management style. Management in those days was by fear, mainly, generally by fear. This kind of uh, um, uh, cooperative management, or where you, where you, 
um, con consolidate or what do you call it collaborate with your employees and get a get a good team going together in those days it was very much hierarchical and, okay. uh, and that was very strict management style those days are gone this is a way you know even in my team now I probably have every every generation I have the I have, an, I have um, interns probably your age uh, 23 uh, to to a guy who's over 60 working in my team so I've got a team of covering every single gen mm. and you have to then manage in your team those different gen and 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 understand because gen z is very different to gen y they, they, they oh, tick sure. completely differently so you have to understand at first why they tick differently why they want to come into work at 10 o'clock in the morning and wearing jeans and a t-shirt and why they want to then stay till work at 10 o'clock at night you know so it's it's yeah. just a different way of working a different thinking so as a manager nowadays you have to have a much broader mind a much more open mind and you have to accept that things are different that things are not but at the same time you still need to get a performance out of all of those employees you need to, you have goals you have um, targets to hit and you have to make sure that you are, are getting the best out of that team and motivating that team to reach that goal um, and, and you have to use every single skill in the book to mm. to to help them along that way and, and, and managing the different uh, the different aspects of, of each generation. Is well, there is there anything that you wish our generation knew more about your um, more about your generation uh, or in, in terms of understanding or do you feel like No, I think it's the other way around. I think we the older generation need to understand the younger generation. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just too lazy. They say, no, no, I don't want to understand the younger generation. Mm -hmm. When I come to work, I come in a suit with a tie. My shoes are polished and my fingernails are cut and my hair is cut nicely. And that's the way, uh, that's the way it should be. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of that ripple effect from the, from the generations above. Yeah, and, and so even now, I mean, I, I haven't worn a tie in, I don't know, three years, four years. How do you I, feel about that? It sounds yeah, liberating, right? fantastic, yeah, yeah. I still have those tie. I mean, I've... Really, I've really uh, I miss wearing a tie from time mm. to time because for me a tie was also a statement. Yeah. You know, I had I had like having like having a, a designer shirt. You can have designer ties, and I had mm. really really nice ties, <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoyed wearing those. Uh, not everybody noticed them, but I knew what I was yeah. wearing, so I felt good about myself. Um, yeah, I don't miss wearing a tie. I still wear a suit from time to time, but without a tie, kind of what we call business casual. Mm. Um, mm. But we don't have to. I, I can go into to if I'm going into a board meeting, I think I need to look a little bit uh, a little bit neater and and also you're portraying a certain image. If you go into a board meeting with uh, torn jeans and dirty sneakers and a, and a leather jacket, I'm not sure the board is going to take you that seriously. So yeah. uh, you know you need to you need to adapt to the situation and and try to you know, see what this what the situation is. But if I'm if I'm have a day where I know I'm not seeing anybody or I don't have any face-to-face -face meetings, I'll go in casually, and it's quite—it's uh, nice. It's really, it really feels good. Mm. Going back yeah. to managing your team, I've heard that there's a lot of tolerance that you have to have for those differences. Where do you think that the that fine line is between you know still getting your your goals and and the performance and then and the tolerance? Where where is that line? Yeah, I think it's a lot to do with communication. It's a, it's a sitting with the sitting with your team and defining the parameters and saying this is what we need to achieve 
uh, we do a, we do a lot of performance management. So we we'll sit twice a year with our, our employees and say, okay, in the mid we set the goals for the year. We say this is what we want to achieve with you or with us as a department. And then halfway through the year, we do a, a check and we say, okay, how where are we? Are we on target? Are we not on target? Are you on target as a as an individual? If not, you know, you might have to pull up your socks because. Uh, Things could get a bit hairy in the second half of the year, so we do we do these kind of regular checks. But it's all about communication. It's all about early identifying what the what the KPIs are, what the what the measurements are. Um, I have to say that it's also different in different countries. You know, in some countries you can't set targets. In Germany, it's very difficult to set targets for your employees. You can you can set targets, but you can't measure them. Mm. So because it's a union thing, the unions are very mm. strict in terms of. For management, we get strict targets. You, you you either hit them or not, and you get measured strictly on those targets. But for employees, they 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 we, we, like I say, we set targets, but we can't measure them. Mm. So it just it gives us a guiding principle. But it's 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 really really about communicating and, and 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 giving giving an expectation to the employee and to say I expect um, us to hit these targets, and this is how we're going to get there along the way. And then communicating early if things are not going that way. To say, okay, look, we're halfway through the year. We haven't even started that project yet. We've got six months to go. We better, we better come up with a plan now to see how we're going to get there by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anybody going into the field of management, um, maybe not as specific as your job currently is, but just generally field of management, what is your advice? Yeah, perhaps perhaps is there yeah. is there a typical pathway? And I know you deal with I know you deal with managers that are you know as young as thirty or their mid thirties, end of their thirties now. So these are and, and relatively speaking, these are quite young managers as well. And you know, especially for a large company. Yeah, yeah. Was was their pathway to getting into management different to your pathway? And can you see is there one typical pathway or the many different ways you can get into management yeah there, there definitely many many different ways and in a company like ours we also need to buy in extremely good talent because we need those skills you know in, in it or in engineering or whatever because we're a car company we're an engineering based company we need to buy in those skills and those skills come in with uh, with an expectation of moving up the corporate ladder very quickly so um there are there are cases where 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 uh, you know you you employ a doctor, a doctor of motor development. I mean, th- these guys are extremely bright. They they they've got a PhD in in developing engines and thermodynamics and all of that, and that's the skill we buy in. But they can't become a manager straight away. So we need to, but but they need to become a manager because they've spent eight years studying. So they're already uh, much more advanced in, in, in their studies and their understanding than, than the ones who've just done a four-year degree or something like that. So maybe eight or ten years. And, and so we are aware of that. So we, we but, but we can't just put them in at a management level with no management skills, no people skills, and no job skills. So we put them in a, in a, in a, in a, in a position. They, they understand their position very quickly, they, they, and they get kind of moved up through the management ranks pretty quickly. Because we need that skill in the company, we need people to understand. That's on the engineering side. One or two on the IT side as well. Now we've, I'm not too sure if you're aware, but we've started our own IT company now. We we will develop our own uh, operating system for our cars for, for for the Volkswagen Group. We we have 40 million cars on the road around the world, um, and 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 our our understanding is we want to 
have our own operating system so that we can use the data. We don't want to use a Google or mm -hmm. something else where we, where we lose the data. We want to use the data and keep it ourselves. So we developed this company now that, that uh, so it's a completely different set of skills. Now you need uh, software engineers, you need data scientists, you need uh, big data scientists, you need uh, d data engineers, you need all of these new skills which we don't generally have. So you need to buy them in. And they also come with an expectation. So you have to fast track some of those those kind of managers up as well. So there are different, a lot of different paths to management. Well, I have to say that one, in the car industry, it's uh, traditionally has been in the past a very male-dominated society. And there's a, you know, you, you do see um, kind of A-type personalities, these kind of alpha males, extremely aggressive, really putting their elbows out, fighting their way to get to the top. And generally, in a lot of cases, it works. So that's a trait of management which has worked in the past, this kind of real you know, aggressive, um, punchy way to get to the top. I'm not too sure if that's going to always work in the future, but it did definitely, it has definitely benefited a lot of, a lot of managers on the way to the top. And, and uh, in our company, we have a history also of having extremely strong technical engineers at the top of the company. And it's, you know, they, they manage my fear. And if they, and they know everything about the car, so you can't really tell them anything else, you know. They will tell you that's the way it's going to be, mm -hmm. which is not good for a company. Mm -hmm. you, need, you need a manager, you need a leader that listens to the people, that understands the, 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 the broader picture and is not just focused on one thing. It needs to understand, it needs to have an understanding of engineering, but needs to understand that there's much more to a company than just engineering. Mm -hmm. so, so there's, sorry, there's one comment I just wanted to put out there as the woman in the room. Um, what we are, I think, currently seeing is that we have a lot more opportunities, but women are still may not be interested in management. So I don't necessarily think that it's a male-dominated room because um, we didn't have or wouldn't have had opportunities. I think it also has a lot to do with interest. I personally wouldn't be interested in going into the going into engineering or something very very technical even yeah, if i yeah. had the opportunity so it's not because i wasn't given an opportunity yeah, yeah. um so i just i just wanted to put that out there but no you, it's, it's also it's not the, the same generation right like people that are in management positions now are people that were educated what, like 30 30 years ago oh sure but so, we were, yeah. you know how we were talking about the fact that it may not be the same in the next generation mm -hmm. the, that type of management may not work in the next yeah. generation um i don't necessarily know if you know if we are just that interested in that your infatuation and love for cars and, <laughs> and and all of those technical things i don't see that in a lot of my female counterparts yeah like you're saying, there's a lot more opportunities now. So in our company, we have a real policy of, of promoting, um, of, of not of promoting, of, of, of making sure that we have a much better female um, representation in management. So we, we're really going, because it's a car company and it's not, like you say, it's not typically the field that, uh, that uh, ladies would like to come into, but we, we definitely have a lot of very good, lady talent that are coming into the company now and, uh, and that, are, that are going places within the company and we are actively trying to create paths. Of course, it's always, it's always a, like you say, the interest is, is 
because you some most you know when you when you get to a situation in life where you've got a family you've got to balance uh, the, the, the the responsibilities of being a mom bringing up kids and a career it, it's not impossible but it's that much more difficult mm-hmm. um, I have to say that here in the German market uh, or in Germany there's a lot of good social um, regulations in place that that, that the um, the man can can he gets uh, what do you call paternal leave now yeah. Um, which never existed in my day. Uh, there was no, no, but these things have been brought into place now to try and get a better balance there and try and make sure because there's a massive amount of talent that goes goes to waste in Germany. You know, uh, you know, you have really good, well qualified um, ladies that come into the industry, get it to a certain level, and then they have a family and they're lost. They're lost to the system because they've decided to have one, two, or three kids. They're gone. Um, out of their own choice sometimes, but out of necessity sometimes, because there isn't a, there wasn't a good enough structure in place to help them. And, and, and there's talent there, and it's gone. So I think the German economy is losing out on a massive amount of talent. So we as a company now try to create opportunities to get that talent back into the workshop, into the workplace. For example, we have a, we have a, a job split. So we say we take two moms with kids, and we give them one job, and they, they split the job. So you have two managers managing one job, but it's two people on the same position. That's so one right. works for two and a half days, the other one works for two and a half days. And the other two and a half days, they've got time to... How well do you think that works? It works working really well yeah? for us now. Yeah, uh, that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Working I, really well yeah. for us now. So, uh, yeah, we've got a couple of those situations. But it's, it's really, it's up to the companies now in the country to try and create opportunities to get this talent back into the back into the workplace and, and create the opportunities for you know for development yeah yeah i think it's it, it's absolutely key and uh yeah i don't i don't think i agree with you Cynthia. that I, I don't think it's just a problem of interest as well i think because of the lack of opportunities that were given in the past then like the interests of the future generations change because of the models that they've had and the more opportunities like this come the more and more women will be inspired and will be taking more and more opportunities like this i'm uh, pretty sure that we could debate about this but if you look at <laughs> scandinavia uh, where you have um, opportunities you would study whatever you want you see even less women in technical fields meaning that when you get to choose what you want and you're well paid for it and it doesn't make sense like it doesn't just mean only if you're an engineer or if you're a doctor that you will be able to pay your bills but you can pay your bills from whatever you want to do women go even less into technical fields yeah yeah, yeah. i don't yeah i don't know if i agree with you completely obviously i don't know the numbers you're talking about but i, I don't think uh, I, I don't i don't think you're you're defined you know being a woman defines what you're interested or in or not and i think the more role models we will have in the future being in charge of big companies, the more future women will feel inspired and want to go into these fields. I do have and, to agree uh, with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, really, <laughs> it's really a weakness in our industry now, yeah. and it's something we're working on though, but uh, because there's definitely benefits also in a boardroom of having, having a good spread in the boardroom. You know, yeah. you, uh, men and women in the boardroom brings a different different uh, aspect into the into the boardroom so yeah. and then our board we have seven board members of uh, no six board members two are ladies so yeah c- c- completely different look and feel to the board as if you have 
six uh, middle-aged white males sitting there, yeah. Yeah. making the decisions, not thinking, you know, thinking as an engineer, not thinking as a as a as a lady who's brought up two kids and yeah. and is now sitting at the boardroom table and has a different perspective and bringing a completely different uh, view to to the yeah. table. I yeah. think oh. as a, in the automobile industry, as it's um, probably one of the more important views to have as well because you know you are especially a brand like audi you know you're making family wagons you're making station wagons mm, you yeah. sort of have to uh, from a design aspect and from a, a marketing aspect you have to appeal to these these different target audiences and if you just have one demographic of a, of yeah. a person in the boardroom then obviously you're not gonna you know the, the marketing is going to be awful and the, the design may be awful you may lose you may forget about things in design so i think uh yeah. I think there's a lot to say about that. But just to go back to your... So just to say one important point there. The de design, the interior design team in our car at Audi are all ladies. Yeah. yeah. All, all ladies. And they're the ones who are deciding the fabrics. They're the ones deciding the leathers, the colors. The, and, and now we, we, they're the ones who have now brought in this new leather we call Dynamica, which mm -hmm. is actually a sustain... It's made of... Uh, it's made from apple apple skins, you know, from the mm -hmm. apple apple shoulder that you drink. Yeah. So those skins, they we we we, um, we get all of those and put them into a leather type material that we're putting in our cars now. That's and it's called Dynamica, and this is a, th a big thing for the future is is sustainability, and how 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 are you going to bring sustainability into car manufacturing? Mm -hmm. and so this is just to say that that team yeah. is all ladies, and they're doing fantastic job in understanding. Um, that uh, that sustainability is a key aspect of car development for the future. And if I can just add to that on a personal note, I think Audi's making the best cars that they've made in it since since I've known Audi. I feel like this current wave of cars that's coming out is top 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 tier. Um, yeah, just a little side note. <laughs> um, so you you mentioned if, um, you know these. Uh, employees or these guys with um, technical backgrounds get this sort of fast fast track if I can say that fast track um, path to management what a CV comes in onto your desk of somebody in marketing um, or talent in marketing what does that talent in marketing what does that CV look like or what is that for social media or, or any of that yeah I mean for me it's definitely what have you done yeah not so much what have you studied, but what have you, what have you uh, done with that that study that you've done? What experience do you have? Have you been able to uh, to put a project together and realize it to an to an end? Because there are a lot of people who can start projects. There's not that many who can actually finish the project. Mm -hmm. and that's that's an important thing. That would be a question I ask straight away. Okay, I see here you started a social media project on developing a website, and and where is the website? Is well, how did it end up? Uh, so we didn't yeah okay well that's the first yeah. bell for me to say mm, I'm not sure if they can carry this project through so yeah so it would be to to say okay is this do you have somebody who in front of you now who is able to identify a, a need a project and then carry it through to 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 the end or is it somebody who has learned a certain skill maybe it's uh, it's pro programming or coding and what have they done with that skill have they have they reprogrammed a program? Have they de developed their own program? Or if they, if they are a data analyst, for example, can they, do they know how to analyze a, an Excel sheet or whatever it is using whatever tools we have 
have they do they show those skills can and because it's easy to write it down on paper but can you actually physically do it so those are the kind of things is is, is I would I would ask in an interview or if I'd saw, seen a CV those are the kind I'd really like to to understand a bit more about the person is okay you studied all of these things but what are you doing with them? what mm -hmm. can you do with them what is the end result what can we as a company benefit from from your skill set that you bring to the table what are we buying here um, and is it going to help us get to where we wanted to go to mm -hmm. reach our goals and then I think uh, I've heard the second question to that is I mean you you sort of heading towards the back end of your career now but <laughs> I mean for those coming up and for the managers that you see coming up or even for the employees that you see coming up is there what what pathway do you recommend for those who are looking to get into management or who you know is it is it a thing of uh, learn a certain skill and, and manage it, management is a byproduct of that or um, is there a one track that you would recommend for managers no there's not, there's not one track but there's definitely there's definitely a um, a kind of a um, a trait that you would look for and that's is are you able to to complete a task are you able to see something through to the end do you have a track record so have you got a track record of, of uh, that's the best way to advertise your skills and your your abilities is to is to uh, show your track record and say look I was responsible for for this this event or this podcast, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was th this event and this is what the event eventually did, and yeah. you know we had we had so much, uh, so so many people coming through the event, and, and this is this is what the results of the or this marketing campaign. I put this marketing campaign together. I managed this marketing campaign, and these are the results. Mm. So that that's definitely you need to have a track record. You need to have a positive track record. Of course, there will be bumps along the way, but generally it needs to be a positive track record. And you also have, have to have to in in most companies you need to you need to go through a, a formal management assessment process. So first of all, you need to impress people with your track record to be nominated to get on that process. Mm. Um, and, and and then in our company, it's a two-year process to get into the first level of management, mm. which involves a lot of on-the-job assessment, uh, observation on the job. And uh, an assessment center where you need to go f uh, through an assessment center for two days to get recommended to go into management. It's a 50% fallout rate. Wow. So uh, yeah, it's a really tough. You don't just you know you, you know we don't just appoint managers. Yeah. And then yeah. after that level is where you have to take your international. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you become a. You need you need a uh, to get into the first level of management. You need to have a. Uh, um, uh, change of department or change of division, hmm, so that has to be. So you can't you can't go up through the same division. You have to have a change of division, and then to go from the the first level of management to the next level, you have to have an overseas assignment. Yeah, hmm. that's a that's a that's a given um, criteria. And to go from the, that the top level of management into board level, you also need most most board members have done some time abroad. Hmm. Yeah. I've got to. I've got to. So I'm, I'm going to forget this question if I don't ask it right no, now. No, so, please. Um, I think uh, maybe all three of us can sort of agree that um, anxiety is sort of a is the thing that perhaps cripples um, people our age these days. Um, being a manager, you obviously have to make you have to make the final decision most times. Well, how do you deal with the the stress 
of sort of making that final decision, being the one who has to make the final decision, all things considered, and uh, yeah, we'll be accountable for it. Yeah, yeah. we'll be held yeah. accountable for it. Yeah, that's it's a great it's a great point. Um, when you're moving into management, you 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 are co- you are always aware that that is that is part one of the traits you have to have. You have to make decisions. You're not always going to make popular decisions. Yeah. You're going to make some people extremely unhappy and some people extremely glad. Um, and you have to, and you can't take it. You you, you shouldn't take it personally, because basically you are you are making that decision in the best interests of the company or to attain a goal that you are you're going to. So, uh, but but I mean you know better than anybody else. I, you have sleepless nights about. You know, if you if you if if a business isn't going so well and you have to cut costs or cut headcount, or yeah. that's you know those are the worst parts of of, of being a manager, is at some stages you've got to make tough decisions yeah. and and uh, decide to to get rid of people or to to advise. It's not that difficult to advise the marketing department that they can't spend all their money. They've spent half their money. <laughs> They're not happy with it, but but that's the decision you have to make in in order to make sure your company's. Um, is, is is surviving so yeah there is it's it's very difficult to to not take it personally as a manager mm-hmm. but you shouldn't you should try to try to cut you know so saying, how, saying how do you do that how do you deal with that how do you sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> not always well <laughs> not always well especially as an md because you you have you, you know in this job now i'm pretty pretty much in 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 one in one column, I, I get the numbers, I put them in, and I advise the the factory what mm-hmm. to do. It's it's a little bit easy, but as an MD, you, you you're looking at the entire company, at the market, at your competitors, at the finances, at the legal side of the business, at compliance, and that's because those have become major issues these days: compliance and 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 the legal uh, side of the business in a country. You have to make sure that all of your staff are acting compliantly, and in in some Cultures compliance is interpreted differently to us. So, so you you know, as an MD, you 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 you've got a hundred. You you what do you call it? Balancing a hundred balls at once, mm-hmm. um, and you're trying not to drop them all. But you you you've then got to you've got to prioritize your thoughts and your ideas, and you've got to try and you've got to try and take the the uh, yeah the personal side out of it, and 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 try and focus on the the functional part of running a business and saying. Okay, this is what I'm deciding, and it's not because I don't like that person, or it's because it's because I, this is what I think the business needs, mm-hmm. and this is what I think the the the, the law or, or the the rules and regulations in the company are telling me. This is the way it is. So, um, yeah, you've got to try and separate that kind of uh, personal feeling, but you can never get away from it because yeah. yeah. you you know people are involved, families are involved, careers are involved. Um, personalities are involved, so yeah. you always have to um, you have to keep that in the back of your mind. But uh, always remember, you're put in that position because you you've you've shown skills to manage a company, yeah. and that's what your board or your your supervisory board or whoever that's what they're looking. They are wanting you to get the results. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you don't get the results, that's it. That's the end of your <laughs> your job. So you you know you 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 have to. You have to make those decisions to get the company to where, to where it's going. So I think as we are slowly coming to the end here, um, where do you see yourself in the future? <laughs> um, yeah, sightseeing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, I mean, 
yeah, it's it's. Uh, I personally, we've discussed it as a family. Um, I definitely see a, another opportunity to go abroad and, and maybe run a company, a, a, one of the one of our subsidiaries again. I'm not sure it will happen, but uh, I still have that uh, burning desire to get out into the into the world and make a difference in a in one of our subsidiaries. So. Otherwise, um, yeah, being back in the head office and, and, and working out, yeah, because, you know, we, re we retire pretty early these days. So uh, that that's also an option to retire and then start something new. So in my kind of case, I'm always um, looking for new opportunities. So already now I'm, I've started to, uh, to look into a few things that I could do when I go into retirement, like... Uh, trying to understand the stock market for example mm. this mm. is a incredible incredible complex uh, structure and and if you understand it correctly and you play it correctly i think there's a it's a really interesting to under because the stock market is is a zero-sum game right people win people lose and yeah. you just want to make sure that you're on the right side of, <laughs> of the zero-sum game but there's so much psychology in the stock, and that's what I think will keep my brain working when I retire, mm. will keep me busy, and it will, uh, yeah, so keep my. If you could pick one, sorry, one uh, country, one subsidiary. That's what I was going to ask. Okay, <laughs> perfect. And what country <laughs> would it be? Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, this is actually quite an interesting question. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If personally, if I could choose one, I would choose now a country. Um, in South America, mm, very in South America, because we haven't, I haven't done South America. I'd love to learn Spanish. Oh, great. I'd love to learn Spanish or even Portuguese. So Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, mm. one of those, one of those I'd like to do. Yeah, this side of the world I've done yeah. pretty much. Asia we've done, Europe we've done, US. It's not that interesting for me to be honest. Uh, how well does Audi sell in? Not bad, not bad. Yeah. We, we're increasing. The business is increasing, okay. but it's taken ages to get uh, yeah. to get the business moving there. Mm. Yeah, it's a very very conservative society. But I, yeah, if I get a, if I had a choice, which is not the easy choice, but it's the most interesting, I think, would be uh, South America. It sounded like that Josh, you've learned something about your father now. Yeah, that was the first <laughs> I was hearing. I was hearing of that. Um, I, I like this question here that we have. Uh, I think it's. I mean, I don't know if I've ever asked you it, but. Do you have a favorite memory from your job? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many. Huh? There's so many great memories we've had. Um, and, 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 you know, working in so many different countries, um, as an MD, you get, you get fantastic opportunities to meet really famous people and go to big events. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think what would be the fav favorite memory? Yeah, very difficult Maybe, question. Yeah, there are yeah. so many. Um, I would think something like uh, going to Le Mans, the 24 hours of Le Mans. Mm. You know, Le, it's a, the motor racing, it's like the pinnacle of uh, endurance motor racing, which we won 11 years in a row with Audi. So going to those Le Mans races and, uh, and, and, and watching racing for 24 hours. I mean, yeah. the cars are racing at 300 k's an hour for 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, so there's driver fatigue, there's fatigue on the cars, there's, there's the engine's got to go at that speed for 24 hours, the tires, the mechanics, the it's just a, it's really the pinnacle of, of, of teamwork and, um, and, 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 and engineering. I mean, to have a car that can race that far, that long, and not fail, this is like a real 
Yeah, and then and, and then the whole thing around it, it it's uh, it's a real pinnacle. So I'd say something like Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the the other thing that I wanted to touch on, um, for me personally, and I think uh, also will be important for our generation, if I'm in any position to say that, is is jumping at opportunities. And I think if I read this question here, if you had if you had to attribute your success to one thing, what would it be? I mean, in I don't want to speak for you, but in my eyes, it's, it's jumping off jumping at opportunity and the and the, the story that comes to my mind is uh, when you were sitting in Barcelona when you got that first yeah um, yeah yeah correct opportunity um, can we get the story yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah really really a good point because there's so many um opportunities that come your way in life and they will come your way things will things will happen um and it it's it's how you take those opportunities and how you how you it's easy to say no it's not that easy to always to say yes and then go ahead with it. But I think that uh, that that taking opportunities is 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 really an important part. And that was the story. In uh, in uh, at that stage, I was a, a tra- I had my own company, and I was sitting next to the guy who was running the training department at Audi, at dinner in Barcelona. We were at the launch of a car in Barcelona, and uh, he said, uh, "Couldn't you think of of coming to Germany?" And I just met uh, Josh's mom, and we were, yeah, we were we were um, newly, pretty newly together at that stage. And um, I said to her, well, "What about it?" And she said, "Yeah, I've always wanted to travel." Mm-hmm. So uh, I called him up when I got back to South Africa, and I said, "Yeah, I'll take the opportunity." Yeah. And uh, that was the first step of getting. Um, of realizing a dream actually because I had that dream when I was working for VW but it didn't really work while I was there but you know you have the dream and it it realizes later in in life and I I had that vision and eventually it worked out so yeah that that was an opportunity and then um, I had another opportunity when when we were in uh, going to China Um, uh, I did a presentation in front of uh, one of the board members and he really thought, wow, this is this was great. So, and the next thing I get a call, I was actually in South Africa on, 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 on a holiday on the golf course. I get a call from the guy in China saying, listen, we want to offer you a job in China as the head of Audi China. So, wow. so I said, yeah, okay. And we were only in Japan for two, two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was before the end of my contract, but I thought, no, this is too good to be true. Let's do it. So, yeah, take that opportunity mm-hmm. and, 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 and run with it. So those those opportunities will pop up. Yeah. You've got to have your skill set in place. You've got to you've got to make sure that you can. And it's actually sometimes you take on a job where you think, wow, I don't really understand this job, but don't worry, you'll learn. Yeah. You'll learn. Learn on the go. Okay. You'll learn. Yeah. You sometimes feel like a a five foot person in six foot of water, and you're always jumping up to to try and get more air. But eventually, you grow in that job, and eventually you become six foot one, and you're out of the water, and life is. Yeah. I think it's those, defi- like, uh, just hearing that it's defining moments, it's just very, yeah. you know, like, uh, un- almost unsuspecting moments where, uh, you know, you, you're, uh, like you said, you're at dinner, you're at the golf course, and, and it's sort of, uh, it's sort of, you, you make that decision, you think about the consequences, if there are any later, you know, so, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah I think it's, maybe be fearless, be fearless, is just what, I, what I'm trying to um, yeah, yeah. Make make decisions unapologetically. Um, there was, a, you know, obviously I was sitting in bed last night thinking <laughs> about how it's going to or what what specifically because I 
obviously I've had 23 years of stories and, <laughs> and um, you know, you coming home at night and each day is different, you know, but uh, I think something that we spoke about the other evening that was also interesting just before we, we sort of wrap up is uh, crisis management, you know, and you've had your fair share yeah, of crises yeah. and I said, uh, I, I really like that story about the financial crisis in 2008. So again, if you want to put me on the spot with your stories. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not too sure if you remember the financial crisis, the Lehman Brothers crisis in yeah. 2008, 2008, 2009, I think it was, where they, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the housing loan crisis in the US, it affected the whole world. So basically, I was running the business in uh, in, in South Korea at that stage. We were, we were extremely profitable business. Um, really had a good CFO, was a good friend of mine. We were running the business well. We were really uh, had everything in place. And we were about to fly to Germany on the 16th of October, I think it was. And we got, we got to the airport in Seoul and I started seeing the ticker tape going on Reuters and Things were going south, and they'd done a raid at uh, the, at Lehman Brothers, and the, the, they were collapsing, and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were collapsing, and oh, and I said to him, Achim, what's going on here? I'm not sure. We got on the plane, flew to Germany for a board meeting, right? We, we were meeting with our board the next day, or two days later. We landed in Germany, in Munich, and all hell had broken loose. The markets were crashing. Uh, there was, you know, our, our, the, the banking system in Korea had a benefit, actually, because they had had a previous financial crisis in 1997. So they had very strict fiscal, fiscal policies. So they, they were less affected. But we, our cash flow was really under pressure because the interest rates changed. And um, the presentation that we had presented where we had a very positive cash flow suddenly went into a negative cash flow mm -hmm. and and we were probably going to run out of money so you know this is all in the case of one day so we sat yeah, together after a plane ride as after well. a plane yeah. ride and we sat together and we said okay what do we tell the board well you have to tell them the truth right you have to tell them that this is so we did the numbers quickly come up with a with a cash flow a statement and true we, in, in six months we would have run out of money from being a very profitable company to one that's going to run out of money, we'll need an input, cash input from the, the head office. So we go into the board meeting and say, okay, this is the situation, guys. It all changed in the last 20, 48 hours. So they, of course, they knew, but they didn't accept it. They said, no, 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 no. We don't give you a cash injection. You have to remanage the business, repurpose the business, and restructure the business so that you keep, you keep your cash. At the end of the day, they, they would have given us money, but we had to go back then restructure the business, cut the, cut the, uh, cut the, uh, the marketing budgets, cut all our costs, and uh, try to make sure that we kept our cash flow going for the next six months until things picked up again. And that's what we did. So it was really, you know, like changing on the fly to, to adapt to a situation that we never anticipated happening. Yeah. In fact, nobody anticipated that massive crash in, 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 in 2007, or 2008. Um, it was a massive financial that affected the entire world, and uh, um, yeah, that's that's one of the, the the big crisis management things that you have to do as a as a as a manager. You know, you've got a board that you've got to report to, and they're expecting you to come up with the solutions. You can't go to the board and say, "Listen, we're going to run out of money. Please give us money." They 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 don't take too kindly to that. So yeah.
So overall, and this is not necessarily related to your job, but just on your view in general on our economy, I'm not 100% sure if we're out or done with the aftermath of 2008, and now we have COVID. What are your views on the economy in the next five years? Okay, so yeah, good question. Um, you say like after 2008, I think definitely after 2008, there's been some significant economic growth all around the world. In fact, uh, the, the stock markets have all been on a bear market for, uh, oh sorry, a bull market for some 11 years. So um, at some stage, it's the longest bear market that they've had for, for centuries. So um, it's 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 really definitely going to be a challenge going forward um there has to be a correction in the stock market at some stage but when it comes and how it comes will be determined by how the uh the federal banks jump in and support uh, the economies around the world but uh, there will be some correction coming in uh, the other key aspect to the economy is is china china is always a most important part of, of, of the global economy. Um, they're predicting growth plus probably around about 8% for 2022 going forward. So um, if it comes, if it happens, then we'll be okay. The world economy will be okay. If it doesn't come at that kind of rate, then the whole world will struggle. So um, yeah, from a global point of view, I think there is some opportunity um, there will be a correction in the stock market. How deep it is, nobody knows. But um, I think there will be, uh, depending on China, if China is strong, then the global economy will continue to be stable to strong. And then just, just as we wrap up here with the, with the podcast, um, we, we have a question that we ask everyone at the end, sort of provide that one takeaway, you know. And uh, our question is, um, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Yeah, also <laughs> a great question. And I mean, in hindsight, it's easy to talk when you when you are way over 20 years old. Um, but I would definitely have, if I had the chance again, be a much more prudent in my financial planning and probably start a, some kind of financial plan, investment plan, savings plan, uh, retirement plan much earlier in life. I think there's there's uh, a lot to be said for compound interest, and I think that's the the one thing you can do when you're still young, is that you can start up a small portfolio that grows year on year on year. Even if it is just twenty or thirty bucks a month, it will grow significantly over the years. But that kind of effect of compound interest, you can't gain when you start much later so the earlier you start the better it is and uh, i think that would be uh, understand compound interest understand how it works and understand the importance of an early financial plan